Welcome to the Women in NFTs and Web3 podcast, where we highlight women in this space who are making massive moves, paving the way and leaving their legacy. I'm Caitlin Strempel, CEO of the first ever women-owned NFT marketing and design agency for women by women and your host. I'm honored to have you join me in learning from some of the greatest leaders in our industry. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review because the more traction we get, the more women we can support in helping them impact the world. If you or someone you know would be a great guest, stick around to the end and I will tell you how to get in touch and apply. Enjoy the show. If you're here, my guess is that you are a woman or a non-binary human building in the Web3 space or want to be. You are a driven, multi-talented human with a desire to connect with others who are just as passionate as you are. It can feel really lonely at times when your in real life friends have no idea what the heck blockchain is, no idea what NFTs are, and you have all of these creative ideas floating around in your head and just wanna talk it out with some people who get it, who really get it. That is why I personally launched the Calibration Room. It's a connection and networking group where non-binary and women of Web3 can come together and just discuss topics that put connecting with each other at the forefront of everything. So if you're looking to network, to mastermind, and to forge more meaningful friendships in Web3, the Calibration Room might just be for you. And I know that you are definitely for the Calibration Room because I have been there, I have been craving these deep connections for a long time now, and the Calibration Room has completely fed my soul. If you're interested, check us out at calibrationroom.io. Again, that's calibrationroom.io to learn more and become a part of our soul family. We would absolutely love to have you. Jessie began her career in tech over eight years ago, starting at a vocational high school for computer networking, where she used her role as the only female in the class to advocate for women in STEM through community conferences, presentations, and even radio commercials. After graduating high school, she went on to get her master's in information technology management from Western Governors University. In her career, Jessie has held a variety of roles from cybersecurity analyst, Linux system administrator to her role now as the senior technical writer at Filebase, a decentralized Web3 cloud storage provider. She writes everything from technical documentation, blog posts, and social media threads to white papers and ebooks that help educate her audience on Web3 and the important role that decentralized storage plays in the ecosystem. Welcome, Jesse. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me. So happy you are here. Um, let's start with our icebreaker questions. First, a shout out to a woman or non-binary human in the space. Um, I'd love to shout out Angela from the Choice DAO. She is um, the founder of Choice DAO, which is a DAO that is dedicated to bringing in donations and resources to women identifying persons that 
need resources regarding reproductive health and abortions. Um, she founded it right after the overturning of Roe v. Wade, and she has done some amazing work bringing in charitable donations to all sorts of different organizations across the country. Such a good shout out. I love that one. Do you have a morning routine? Um, most of the time it is, I get up and I bring out my dogs. I have two Huskies. Um, we go for a little walk around the neighborhood and then I come in, I make coffee and I sit down and go through my calendar and my emails. Yay. Um, so I have two dogs too. They're like little white fluffy ones though. Um, oh. <laughs> you go on a walk every morning too. It's my favorite way to start the day. Yeah, if I don't take them for a walk in the morning, they will just be bouncing off the walls all day. Huskies have so much energy. Mine just get mad and pee everywhere. (laughs) (laughs) What's a favorite quote or affirmation you have? Um, This might sound really cliche, but my two favorite quotes are Latin quotes that are carpe diem, which is seize the day, and memento mori, which is remember you will die. So just kind of two things to remember that your time here is limited. You want to make the most of every single day that you have because you have no idea how much time you actually have here. Oh, I know. Be intentional. I love that. Mm -hmm. Okay. So we kind of got the gist from your bio of how you got into this space, but I love how you are such an advocate for women and especially in areas where it's very male dominated like web three. So what has it been like for you being one of the only females in STEM in web three now and all, all along your journey? Yeah. So when I started off in vocational school, I didn't ever really think about the fact that I was the only female identifying person in in my class. At first, it was just a lot of fun. And there was so much knowledge and such great instructors at my vocational school that I just didn't really think about it until senior year. I went off to USA, which is like a vocational school competition where students compete against each other in tests and exercises. And it really hit me there that I was the only one in the state of Massachusetts competing in the IT competition that was a woman. And that was just really, that, that's when it really wow. struck me because I was like, okay, it's not just you know my small tech school in Western Massachusetts, the entire state sent out you know their best in IT and I'm the only one who's a girl here. And so after that, I really kind of looked at things and I was like, well, I want to talk about this more. And so part of being a senior at my high school, we had to do a senior presentation and they said, okay, pick a topic. And I said, well, I want to talk about women facing the glass ceiling in IT. Like this is all I want to talk about for, you know, the foreseeable future. And so I did that, that um, presentation and I have some really, really great resources that I'm still in contact with at my vocational school that they said, this is really cool. We heard about this and we want to, you know, showcase this to everyone. So the guidance counselor at the school, he set me up with doing conferences um, in the local area. He set me up with doing radio uh, commercials uh, for uh, women in tech month, which is March. Um, And he just really gave me this platform to talk about it and go off on to college and everything and, and continue through just being kind of that beacon of women in the STEM field. And this is what it looks like. This is what, you know, you can accomplish. Um, Because at that point, 
I was a high honor student. I had went on to win um, one of the gold medals at the Skills USA competition. I had gotten uh, multiple different scholarships and multiple different awards at that point um, in my vocational career and my um, community college. So there, I just had a lot under my belt that I was able to, to utilize and inspire other women to follow the same kind of path. What advice would you give to women looking to get into STEM or into Web3 or any other industry that is so male dominated? The advice that I always go to is, you know, don't be afraid of it, which can kind of be a little obvious, but also you don't really think you're going to be scared until you get into it. Um, And like I said, I never thought about being the only woman until I was there at this competition at the state level. And I was terrified. I was absolutely, and I had never been scared before. I was able to get to that level. I, you know, had won other, other previous competitions to accelerate to that level. So I knew that I deserved to be there, but it wasn't until I stood there in that classroom, um, prepping for the, the competition with the people I was competing with directly, that I was really, oh my God, do I, really belong here because there's no one else that looks like me in here um so really just don't be scared even though that's you know hard to to think about and hard to apply because you never know when you're going to be scared until you're there but just there's so many women in the web3 space specifically that are dedicated to bringing empowerment to other women that in the web three space specifically network outreach talk to people just have conversations just as simple as like going on twitter and shouting out other women just to make those connections a little bit stronger and bring light to women that you respect in the space that you like their content you like what they're doing um all all sorts of those things but most of all just it's intimidating it's extremely intimidating but really try your best not to be intimidated and try to put that aside because once you're in there and you're able to utilize the resources that you have, you're able to do such amazing things. Yeah. The great thing about being in a male dominated industry is that the female identifying population is so small that it's almost like a a support net, I feel. And when I first came in, I reached out to so many women, so many women reached out to me. It was such a comfort and so welcoming and so nice to know that if this is something that interests you, like go after it. And you know, the females will carry you. They will hold you, you hold your hand and help you along the way for sure. Um, I love the fact that you didn't even realize till senior year that you were the only woman. Um, it just, they all just treated me like one of them. Like there was never, nobody ever made it a a kind of, Hey, you know, we think your skills are less than ours, or we don't think you have the bandwidth that we do. Um, and all of them had had previous it experience and I had used the computer, but I, you know, didn't really know what I was doing at first. And they all, you know, had previous, they had done this, they had done that. And they never, questioned my intentions to be there or my knowledge or my skill set they and they're still my some of my best friends to this day those guys in that class that's so cool and also I'm sure that you just like were so passionate like you just kept going like you're just following your passion which I think is huge it's like 
if you have a calling to get into web three, follow your passion. Like you are meant to be there. If you have that feeling good for you. I'm like so excited about that. All right. Thank you. So, <laughs> yeah. Okay. So decentralized storage, let's break that down. Um, like newbie style, because I'm not even sure I know what decentralized storage fully means. Yeah. So to start talking about decentralized storage, first, we need to talk about centralized storage. Mm. So what is centralized storage? Well, it's what we typically use on a day-to-day basis with the hard drive in your phone or the hard drive on your laptop. It's storage that is in one central location and you either need to have manual backups of it or you need to have multiple copies of of files to have any sort of redundancy um, or disaster recovery. And so cloud storage like Google Cloud or iCloud, those are also forms of centralized storage since they're storing all of your files in one place, whether it's in one data center or on one server in that data center, it's all on one place. The servers have one geographic location and the files have one portion of that hard drive that they're using to store the data. And so decentralized storage is when we utilize blockchain networks, which are distributed and decentralized ledgers um, that use peer-to-peer networking to connect and transfer data. And decentralized storage networks um, don't transmit and transact data um, like how Ethereum or Polygon does. They purely store data. They aren't um, doing NFT minting. They aren't doing uh, crypto transactions. They're purely storing data files. And so a couple examples of decentralized networks are the Filecoin network, the Arweave network, or um, the the SIA network. So when a file is stored on a decentralized network, it isn't stored in one singular geographic location like with a centralized uh, storage. It is broken apart into sometimes hundreds of different fragments of the file or shards, um, they're often referred to. And each shard is transmitted across the globe to different nodes. And um, it uses what's called erasure coding technology to do this, um, which is a mathematical series of equations. Uh, One of the popular ones is the Reed-Solomon algorithm that takes the file, encrypts it, splits it into all of these shards based on the pre-configured algorithm, spreads them across the globe. And when it breaks the file into multiple shards, it makes redundant pieces. So you don't need every single one of those shards to access the file. Uh, most of the time it's a ratio that is, you only need one third of the total uh, number of shards to access and download the file. So you can lose up to two thirds of the shards through disasters or outages or um, any sort of data corruption. And you can still access the file as you typically would. You wouldn't even know that there's an outage occurring. You, you just get rerouted somewhere else. So the way that I like to explain this to more technical people that may have gotten lost with all of these terms of sharding and erasure coding and all of that is when you place an order online 
for some place that has lots of different warehouses like Amazon or I like to use Chewy because I'm always ordering from Chewy for my dogs. When you go on there and you place an order that has multiple items in it, there's a slim chance that all, say, three of those items are going to be sourced from the same warehouse. Uh, a lot of the times they send one item from one warehouse, one from another, but it's all still part of that one order. You didn't place three separate orders. You placed one order, but you got all three items. Yeah. So when a file is distributed across the globe using razor coding, it's very similar to when you place that one order on Chewy. You have stored one file, but it's actually comprised of three pieces. And when you go to access that file, it sends you those three pieces and the storage network on the back end reconstructs the file and presents it to you in under 30 seconds most of the time. So it's very performant. It, a lot of people, when they, they hear about this initially, they might think, well, that sounds like it will take a lot of time. It sounds like it's you know very compute intensive, but it's not. It's actually very lightweight. It's very performant. And the biggest thing is that it's extremely secure. Each shard of data is completely useless without the other amount of shards that it needs to reconstruct the file. So if you have a node operator that's storing one shard of this file, they can't access your file, they can't see any information, that one shard is completely useless to them. And the only way that they can, or the only way that you can access your file is through your um, key pair or um, your crypto wallet, and you have to authenticate with that. And then it, it requests to the servers, hey, we'd like to download this file. And it goes to the network, compiles the shards, then sends it to you. And that level of security, you would need to have multiple copies of the file stored different places. You'd have to have each one encrypted to replicate that level of security and redundancy. Wow, that's incredible. That is, I feel like so important. So <laughs> yeah. yeah. So what kind of files does it store? Does it store anything just like the cloud? Yeah. Like images? Okay. Yep. Um, yeah. Decentralized storage can be used for any medium, any sort of uh, backup. And we've had a lot of customers come to us that are using us for hosting NFTs, um, decentralized applications, a lot more of the Web3 focus since IPFS has a, a very big name in the space. Okay. Yeah. That was my next question was like, how is this actually being utilized and what role does it play in Web3? Yeah. So everything needs to be stored somewhere. Yeah. And the whole core values that Web3 sits on are decentralization and data ownership. Yeah. Well, if you have all of these Web3 technologies like decentralized applications and NFT collections and DAOs and all of that, if you're just storing all of those on a centralized cloud provider like Amazon, it kind of defeats the whole purpose of having a decentralized web if it's all just stored in one place where you're not sure you know, exactly who has access to that content fully, you know, what kind of... Um, redundancy and reliability you're going to have in case Amazon's US East region goes down again, which has been the cause of so many you know, widespread outages on the US East Coast in the past year. And so thinking about where things are actually stored on Web3, a lot of people don't 
get that far. They get into, okay, how do I mint my NFT? How do I, you know, set my crypto wallet? How do I launch this, this smart contract and, and deploy this on Ethereum? But they're not thinking about, okay, if I have this smart contract, I can upload it to GitHub and share it with other people, but then it's stored on the centralized GitHub servers. It's not stored on a secure and redundant decentralized storage location. So its place in the space is extremely important and it's really only starting to get some real traffic and some real notability through NFTs using IPFS. But like I mentioned before, IPFS isn't technically a network, it's a protocol. So you still need to think about looking into actual decentralized networks like Arweave or Filecoin or Storage or Saya. There's so many out there and they all you know, have different benefits. They have different requirements, different parameters, different um, compliance uh, regulations, all of those sorts of factors that there's a solution out there for almost every workflow. If you want to store something for your decentralized application, and you want to set up automated backups, there's a way to do that. If you want to store the assets for your IPFS-based um, NFT collection, there's a way to do that. The biggest thing is that storing things for Web3 on centralized storage doesn't make sense. So it shouldn't be an option. It shouldn't be part of the conversation. It should be, okay, which decentralized network is the best for my Web3 product? Yeah. So I'm looking at this through two lenses, one as a business owner and, you know, um, an NFT project. And also from the lens of a mom who has like all my photos of my kids on my phone, (laughs) you know, and both seem just like total no brainers, you know, like it, from what I'm getting at is that, you know, data can eat like not easily, but there is a chance that your data can get corrupted. It can be deleted if something goes offline. Like you said, I think that there was, um, you know, like outages on the East coast, things like that. So as a business, I feel like your most precious asset should go there as well as somebody who's just is like, well, I don't want the kid, the photos of my kids to like disappear either. So I see so much benefit in this. And also from the business perspective, it's extremely more affordable than using centralized data storage. Really? Okay. Oh yeah. Um, for example, Filebase. Um, so we at Filebase connect multiple decentralized storage networks under one UI and under one um, S3 compatible API. So you can come to us and you can say, I wanna store some files on SIA and I wanna store some on IPFS. And we say, okay, great. Here are two separate buckets, upload your data and you can access it in a very simple and easy to use web interface. Or if you're a developer and you wanna use the API, we have a very extensive API documentation and tutorials on how to use hundreds of different tools. And it's as simple as just switching out the endpoint um, for our endpoint if you're already using something like Amazon. And so from the cost perspective, Filebase is 90% cheaper than if you were to go to Amazon and store the same amount of data there. This is because all of these 
decentralized networks are using hard drive space that already exists in the world. Every node that's on these networks is elected to be on the network from the node operator, the person who says why I'd like to spin up a SIA node, I'd like to spin up a storage node. And they're already using hardware resources that exist in the world. And they aren't competing with costs like real estate for um, the property that a data center sits on. They aren't paying maintenance for the employees at a data center. Not, they're not paying taxes. They're not paying any of those high costs that are associated with building and maintaining a data center. Yeah, so, and, uh, yeah. explain what a node is quickly. Yeah, so a node is a computer or a server that is elected to be on a blockchain network. Um, this is a term that is not just for decentralized networks, it's for any blockchain network. Uh, Ethereum, Polygon, all of them are comprised of nodes. And nodes are the ones that they process the transactions on the network. So when you go to mint an NFT on Ethereum, there's a series of nodes that are working behind the scenes to yeah. process that transaction. And they go through a um, protocol called consensus where the blockchain communicates back and forth with all the nodes and they make sure that the majority of the nodes on the network say, hey, this is a valid transaction. The information on this is legitimate. Let's add this to the network as part of a block. Yeah. So it basically makes it decentralized. Like it's, you know, instead of one little cloud system, there's little systems all over that it goes through. Yeah. Blockchain nodes, they can be all across the world. They can be anything from somebody's spare computer that they have um, hooked up in a closet to uh, <laughs> a lot of people use a variety of decentralized storage provider, decentralized um, compute providers like the Akash network or now nodes. Um, there are a lot of nodes that are using Amazon and other centralized hosting providers. I just saw a graphic on Twitter the other day about that, that a good majority of cloud-based nodes on the networks are still hosted in centralized clouds. So that's another conversation that people that are in <laughs> yeah, decentralized compute uh, need Another to have. rabbit hole. <laughs> yeah. Um, cool. But yeah, um, compute and all of that is a, a whole separate conversation to storage. Okay, cool. Um, so how hard is it to make the transition from centralized to decentralized storage if you're a business or a person who, you know, obviously has all your files in one place? So if you go to the decentralized storage network yourself, a lot of the times you will need to manage things like storage contracts and you'll need to have cryptocurrency to pay for those contracts since you would go to the network and basically say, hey, I'm looking to store this amount of data. I want to lease out this, this amount from the network. And the network comes back and says, okay, here's a, a smart contract that says you will receive this amount of data for this price. And then it's similar to renting a property. You rent out the, the storage from the network. The cool thing about Filebase is we manage all of that for you. Um, you never touch crypto. You never touch the smart contracts. We do all of that on the back end of our platform. And so you just come to us and you say, hey, I want to upload this file. And we say, okay, cool. Your file is uploaded. We've, we're taking well, care of it. That's amazing. All right, so I want to hear what you're working on and what projects you have launching and in the works because I know you're doing some things. Yeah, so right now I am working on finalizing 
a draft for a book that I'm calling The Ultimate Web3 Pocket Guide. And it started off as just that, a pocket guide that I was like, this would be really cool to have something that I kind of envision it like if you think of like a field guide for plants and animal tracks and that kind of thing, something where you open it up, you can flip to a page and you get like a diagram and a photo and it's like, this is the plant, this is what the leaf looks like, this is the, the you know, the genius name and the species name and, and all that. That, but for Web3, since there's so many tools and different pieces of the ecosystem, a lot of the times I lose track of okay, who is this company and what are they doing? And okay, what is this project all about? And that kind of stuff. So I- Super cool. I, so I started it off as a pocket guide and it's quickly become a 500 page pocket guide. <laughs> so uh, the term pocket guide is going to be very loose since I'm not sure anybody's going to fit it into their pocket. <laughs> <laughs> but essentially it's um, pretty technical. They um, each section starts off with a technical deep dive into each technology. So blockchains, it, it dives into how blockchains work, how consensus works, the different types of blockchains. And then there's a section where it has kind of quick reference pages for each of the different blockchains. So it has, I think it's almost 80 different blockchains total I ended up wow. including. Oh my uh, God. And <laughs> yeah, there's a there's so much in this ecosystem that <laughs> it feels never ending. So um, but I talk about blockchains, I talk about decentralized oracles, decentralized compute, decentralized storage, but then I also go into NFTs and you know the biggest NFT collections in the ecosystem and what they're all about, uh, the different DAOs in the ecosystem that have gained a lot of popularity, like developer DAO and change DAO and blue DAO. Yeah. Um, and then I also talk about learning platforms since there are so many incredible platforms for learning Web3 and developing those tools and just anything I could think of, I tried yeah. to include. Um, wow. I, didn't, I didn't go super deep into crypto and like trading. I, there's of course a cryptocurrency section that has a, I think it's almost a hundred different currencies for uh, quick facts like what they're all-time high as of writing this since a lot of these will change over over time but how many are in circulation their symbol their blockchain all that fun stuff but I don't go into investment strategies or staking or liquidity I don't talk about that stuff since it's not a financial book it's a technical pocket guide book wow I love that that is so is do you have to be technical to read it or is it no Okay. So I anyone can pick up this book and start front to back and understand what's happening. I've tried to make it something that I can hand to my mom and say, Hey mom, I wrote this. I want you to, to read this. And my mom is a very non-technical person who <laughs> most of the time doesn't understand how she's deleted a photo on her phone. So <laughs> I, I've, I've really tried to explain it from the ground up and give as much context and as much background. And that's why it started off as a very, this will be a, you know, a simple little, you know, pocket guide. And then yeah. as I dove more and more into it, I'm like, well, okay, I need to explain this and I need to add a section about that. And now I'm, my draft is almost at 500 pages and wow. I still got a, a little ways to go. Oh my gosh. Good for you. First of all, shout out to Jesse's mom. Uh, <laughs> She'll be listening. Um, and that's amazing. Cause you get into the space and people always talk about going down the rabbit hole. It's like, essentially you've gone down the rabbit hole for them. 
you just need to get this book and take a look at it and you will have everything that you need to know. That's incredible. Thank you. And it's only going to be print only. Uh, I think that it's really best utilized when you have it in person, when you can highlight it, you can write notes on the margins, you can dog ear the pages, you can add sticky notes for different things. I really just don't think you would get that kind of benefit from it if it was in a Kindle or, or a PDF format, because then you have you know something you have to scroll through 500 pages of to, to get to the totally. section or, or the page. So it's going to be print only and I don't have an official release date, but I'm aiming for the end of October and it'll be on Amazon worldwide. Oh, that's amazing. Okay. So, um, I have two kids when the, like before the first baby, I remember getting like essentially like this guide to like raising a baby and I got it on Kindle and I was like, why did I do this? (laughs) And I like, yeah, it just did not work out that way. So I love that you did that. And I love just having a physical book to like take notes into. That's so cool. Um, okay. So coming out soon in fall, well, let's connect with you beforehand. So where can everyone meet and hang, hang out with you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter. I am at Jesse J E S S I E underscore filebase F I L E B A S E. Um, I really only use Twitter. I'm not big on the other social media, but I'm always on Twitter and there's only so much to see on there. Um, or if you uh, go to the file-based documentation. There are links all over the place for the file-based Discord server. If uh, you have questions, you want to connect with me that way. I'm always active in our Discord server to provide support for our users. Amazing. Jesse, thank you so much for being here. This was amazing. Um, you know, we talked about this a little bit before we actually started recording, but this is such a topic that is glossed over, overlooked yet so important. So I'm so happy that we got to talk about it today. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. This was great. Yay. Bye. Bye. Caitlin here. Thank you so much for listening to the Women in NFTs and Web3 podcast. If you're a woman pioneering the way in the NFT, Web3, or crypto space, I want to share your message check out www.metamintmarketing.io slash win, W-I-N. And let's see if you're a great fit. If you got something out of this interview, I would love for you to share it with your network. Just do a quick screenshot with your phone and text it to a friend or post it on your social channels. If you know someone that would be a great guest, make sure to tag them to let them know about the show and include the hashtag women in NFTs podcast. I love seeing your posts and guest suggestions. We are regularly putting out new episodes and content. To make sure you don't miss any episodes, go ahead and subscribe. Your thumbs up, ratings, and reviews go a long way to help promote the show and truly mean a lot to my incredible guests and me. Want to stay in our world? Go to our website, metamintmarketing.io, or follow me on Twitter at NFTCaitlin, C-A-I-T-L-I-N. Thanks for listening. We will see you next time.